You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, how are we doing, my peoples? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. So before we get into the Bible to study it for just a little bit, what do you say we pray for just a second and then we'll jump right into it. Lord, thank you for the dysfunctional family of God we call City Church Downtown. And thank you for the amazing brothers and sisters who have come to worship you today. And all of us want you to transform our hearts and minds with your word. And Lord, as I try and present it in a way that it'll be helpful for those that are considering if you're for real and those that have followed you for many years, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And for his sake, everyone said, amen. Amen. So in the last service, we had uh, some visiting ministers here. And I was curious if there are any ministers in this service. Just slip up your hand. Anybody who at one time has been a minister, is a minister now? Any, is there, there a, a hand way back there in the back? Okay, anybody else? Good, good. Okay, none. Hardly any. Uh, like one in the very back, okay? But when I asked that question, more of you should have raised your hands. Now, I'm going to tell you why later on. But suffice it to say for now that those of us that are ministers, many of us can feel a little bit of insecurity about teaching the Word of God. I mean, a lot of, a lot of times what goes through my head is that, man, who am I to stand up in front of people and like tell people how to live and all that when I'm such a goofball, you know what I mean? And so uh, it's not just ministers that feel this sense of, I guess, not being adequate to do this, but I think a lot of us feel that in whatever endeavor God has called us to do, right? Have you ever felt that? Like, I'm not, I'm not adequate to pull this off. Like, I'm not smart enough. Um, I'm not good-looking enough. Or I'm not old enough, for those of you that are younger. Or those of us that are older, I'm not young enough to do that anymore. Um, or I don't have the resources to, to pull this off or get this done. In fact, this is such a common thing. We're going to have to do two weeks on this called Underdog uh, next month. But there was a guy who was an apostle who felt this sense of inadequacy, just like a lot of us feel. And his name was Peter. Peter was kind of like the George Costanza of the the apostles. I mean, he uh, really didn't feel so great about himself. And we're going to look at his journey. And so um, we're going to go back and look at the time before Peter was called and when he was being called by Jesus. And if Jesus would have followed the rabbinic system of the day, then he would have called people to follow him, um, you know, primarily just younger people, you know. Um, He would call younger people because, you know, when you're a young person, you still believe you can change the world, right? When you get in your 30s and 40s, you really just want health insurance. You don't care if you uh, change the world at all, right? So Jesus would have probably called like um, mostly young people, but then in his group, he, the, the rabbis would typically call like maybe one or two guys who were a little bit older to kind of serve as role models for the rest of the disciples in that particular group. And so what, they, what the rabbis of the day would call their young followers would be Talmudim or Talmids, right? A Talmid is a disciple, and a Talmid um, is not really just like a class, Okay, to be a disciple didn't mean to go to just a class in an educational environment, but it was a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week kind of tribal relationship um, because Jesus recognized that we're better together. Now, most of you know that we've been in a series in recent days called Tribal in which we've been seeking to kind of change our church from a crowd 
to a smaller community or groups of communities so we're involved in each other's lives because we want to go way beyond just Bible knowledge here at City Church, but we want to go towards life transformation and relationships where we're actually engaged in each other's lives. I don't know anyone who grows spiritually without some kind of a relationship. And that's why we say here uh, that tribes eat. We're intentional about sharing meals together to foster intimacy in our relationships. You know, in fact, um, over the past few weeks, I've been eating at people's homes, and I brought a couple of pictures of, of just a couple of places that I've eaten in recent days. Um, uh, some of you have been kind enough to, to let me invite myself over to your house and stuff like that, because I love to eat. In fact, I got more of those scheduled in the coming days, and I think I've gained like five pounds during this series and hope to gain a couple of more in the coming days. But this is the way that Jesus operated, is in relationship. Um, you'll, you'll be interested if you ever do a study on food food in the Bible. Um, there's so much metaphor of food in the New Testament of the Bible because it's so central to the, uh, the community of faith. Um, but to get a chance to study with one of these great rabbis, young men like Peter, they had to first go through the Jewish educational system. And that started with what's called Beth Sefer. Now, Beth Sefer happened when a Jewish kid was like four years old, kind of like kindergarten. And they would start at four and then go up until they're like 12 years old. And during this time, they're trying to memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and also as much of the rest of the Bible as that they could memorize at that time. And so the rabbis had this saying, you know, it was often asked, well, how old should a kid be before that kid starts school and starts their training? And the rabbis would say, when a kid is four, stuff him with Torah like an ox, right? So they just wanted to fill him up uh, with the Word of God when they were younger, and they would memorize it. Even if you go to the Holy Land today, you'll see these little kids running around, and Orthodox Jewish kids, and they're so excited about knowing and memorizing their Bible. If you ask them to quote it, they'll just go on and on and on about this. But after Bet Sefer is a time called Bet Midrash, and that's when these kids have memorized large portions of the Old Testament, if not all of it, and then they'll learn interpreting the Old Testament. So they've got it in their heads. Now they're learning to interpret it and all the different interpretations that exist amongst the community of rabbis in the community of that day. So a kid goes through uh, Beth Sefer and Beth Midrash, and now they want to go to the next level. And so they're applying. And just like today, kids apply to go to college, these kids would apply to study with a rabbi. But it wasn't just going to a class. Remember, you're going to go and you're going to be involved in this guy's life. And so um, what you're saying when you go to the rabbi is like, hey, can I be like you? So a young kid uh, who's gone through these other two educational parts in the Jewish system would walk up to a rabbi and they'll start off with what they call shtick, right? It's like... Um, and they'll go up to this rabbi, very learned, brilliant man, and they would say, Rabbi, you are a very wise man. May I be your Talmud? And basically what that kid's asking this brilliant rabbi is, do you think that I can be like you? Do you think that I can do what you do? See, it wasn't just, can I know what you know? It's, can I be what you are. Can I live out what you have lived out? And so after the question was asked, the rabbi would say, well, son, if you'd like to apply to be one of my 
Talmudim, uh, why don't you go ahead and quote Deuteronomy? And so we're thinking, what do you mean? Quote Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 10? No, the whole book of Deuteronomy is what it is. So that kid's excited because he's like, hey, I learned to quote Deuteronomy when I was in kindergarten. So that kid would stand up before this rabbi and quote like the whole book of Deuteronomy, which is pretty huge for you and I today. But for them, you know, that, that's all they thought about and all they did. And so after the kid quotes Deuteronomy, then the rabbi is going to ratchet things up a notch. And, he, and the rabbi might say something like this. Well, son, since you can quote Deuteronomy, how about this? How about you tell me the 17 times that the prophet Amos uses Deuteronomy as the basis for his prophetic word? And that kid learned interpretations when he was in Bet Midrash, and so he tries to rattle them off, and the kid gets 15 out of the 17, which isn't bad, but still not good enough to study with a great rabbi. And so the rabbi would say something like this, son, you're an honorable young man, and you have a great heart for God. Fishing is a noble trade. Go and learn to fish. And that kid would leave disappointed because he wanted so badly to study with a great rabbi. It's kind of like kids today who don't get into the college that they want to get into. They're disappointed if they find out they don't get in. And these young kids probably would walk away thinking, you know, I didn't get in, but only a very few get to study with the great rabbis. And so imagine that as you... Think about Jesus walking up to these little Jewish kids, um, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and he's asking them to follow him. He's telling them, I think maybe you guys can be like me and do what I do. And the stories in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 through 20, come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, let me ask this question at this point. Why is it that Andrew and Peter and James and John are already fishing? Probably because they'd already been turned down by another rabbi. So these are the guys that are the C students. They're the JV. They're the B team. And Jesus walks up to the B team and says, I think you can be like me come follow me. I used to think that they were making this huge sacrifice by leaving their family business and their careers to go follow Jesus. But if you understand the cultural context here, it was no sacrifice at all. It was a great privilege. It's like getting into Harvard today. It's like you're a C student, um, you're on the B team, and then Harvard calls you and says, I don't care. I see something in you. I think you can make it here. You're going to drop everything and take advantage of that opportunity. And Zebedee, their father, I used to think before I understood the cultural context here that he would probably have been bitter that this hippie rabbi uh, would have taken his workforce to go and feed people and do all this kind of stuff. And I thought he would have been mad about it, you know, because he lost his laborers there, right? But the fact is, is that Zebedee probably was very proud. I could see him going to the coffee shop where he hangs out with his cronies and saying, you know, my boys went to go study with a rabbi. He saw something in them. They're brilliant, kind of like their father before them, right? Um, this is the way Zebedee feels after his boys go to study with a great rabbi. And so when Jesus says things like in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, I chose you. He's saying, how dare you say, 
I can't be like you. This verse is not so much about predestination as much as it is the rabbi sees something in someone saying, I chose you, you didn't choose me. I believe in you. I believe that you can do it. So I want you to fast forward many years from this point in Peter's life. He's gone through the application process. He's in with Jesus at this point, but we're going to fast forward to many, many years later after Jesus has already gone. He's already learned all the lessons from Jesus. Jesus has been killed on the cross. He's risen again from the dead, and he's ascended into heaven. He's totally gone, and Peter is now ministering on his own. He's ministering to a group of people in Asia Minor, which was very different from where he grew up. I mean, there were religious Jews there in Asia Minor, but there are also very, very unchurched people who don't memorize the Bible, don't know anything about the Bible, and he's empowering all of these people, and I want to show you what he says to them to empower them in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a, what are those next two words? Royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see what Peter's doing there? He's telling this group of people, many of whom were very unchurched, it's like, hey, you're a royal priesthood. So what I want you to do right now is turn to someone next to you and tell them, you're a royal priest. Not a royal pain, but a royal (laughs) priest is what you're telling them. So in light of this truth that we've seen from 1 Peter earlier, when I asked the question, would all the ministers please stand up? All of you who know Christ should have stood up. Now, don't worry. I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourselves later on. So hold tight, and we'll get there here in just a minute. But you're seeing more, uh, more empowerment here that Peter's given. I want to show you some more empowerment from 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 10. It says, as each has received a what? Gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so what Peter's telling this group of people here now is that, hey, God gave you a gift. You're gifted. And so what I want you to do now is turn to someone next to you and tell them, You're gifted. You're gifted. It's good to have a gift, isn't it? Good. So I like the way that Pastor Rick Warren explains this. He says, every person has been given by God a shape, a shape. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm a pear shape, right? (laughs) But let me show you, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about your spiritual shape. And so it's an acrostic. It stands for spiritual gifts and strengths. H is heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. And so I'm going to break down each of those for you just for a minute. So let's look first at spiritual gifts. Now, there are a number of different spiritual gifts listed in the Bible. Um, I'll just mention a few. There's administration. Those of you that are really good at administrating things and organizing and all of that. Some of you have the gift of discernment. Like you get around some people and you just get a bad vibe, you know, or you sense... Um, evil or sometimes you uh, sense good. 
Um, then there's encouragement. Some people, when you're around them, you just feel really built up, don't you? You know that person? You love to be around those people, don't you? They, they're so uh, uplifting and encouraging. Then there's those with the gift of evangelism, not the people that are on TV that are always asking for money, but the people that know how to have appropriate conversations about God to help people who don't know God come into relationship with God. And then there's the gift of giving. People just have a knack for being able to uh, meet needs uh, economically and physically and then there's the gifts of helps, um, people that just like to do any type of task, even if others would perceive it as menial, uh, people with a helps gift love to do those types of tasks. And then there are those with the gift of hospitality. These are the people that you want to be friends with, right? Because this, the, these people sometimes make magic. It's like their house is, they're not preparing for company, but you show up over there and they're just like, you, you ever met those women? It's like rice and beans. There it is, right? It, there's a, Sam's lasagna. Where'd it come from? It just popped out of nowhere, right? It's there. There's all kinds of food and drinks and all kinds of stuff and everybody's partying down and they weren't even planning to do it. This person just makes magic. You know, it just happens and you always want to be a part of their lives if they have this gift of uh, hospitality. And there's this gift of leadership, those that had this knack for being able to take a group of people and moving the ball down the field um, in this way. But there's so many more things I wanted to say about spiritual gifts and so many more spiritual gifts um, than what I'll have time to cover today. That's why on your Tribe Talk this week on our Facebook page as well as on our website, um, we have three different links that you can click on to go and take assessments that'll help you learn what your spiritual gifts are. And some of you are like, well, I don't even know what those spiritual gifts are. I mean, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are and I don't know what they mean, right? I don't, um, there, there's give all kinds of different gifts in the, in the Bible. What do those things mean? Well, one of the links will have a description of each of the different spiritual gifts that are listed in the New Testament of the Bible. Um, so you can click on that and learn more about spiritual gifts and learn what your spiritual gifts are by taking one of those assessment tests. But in addition to spiritual gifts, I believe that God has given each person unique strengths, okay? Now, this part is not in the Bible, but I think that it's a, a biblical concept that God has given you different strengths. Now, one of the authors that's really championed this strengths movement is Marcus Buckingham, and I'll show you three of his books. The first one was Now Discover Your Strengths um, about this issue, and then there was Go Put Your Strengths to Work, which is a more practical um, book that shows you how to actually make your strengths work for you. And then there's also his most recent book called Stand Out. But in this book, um, Buckingham surfaces the idea that we grow as humans, not by focusing on our weaknesses, but by working in and on our strengths. So he says, you'll never excel only by, maximize, uh, by dealing with weaknesses, but you only excel by maximizing your strength, not fixing your weaknesses. So one example that he gives of this is Shaquille O'Neal. Remember that guy and how bad he was at free throws? Well, when Shaq went to, he, he was... Uh, traded to the Lakers. He moved over to the Los Angeles Lakers. When he got there, Coach Phil Jackson started having Shaq work on his under-the-basket game and his under-the-basket shots, right? And Shaq says, well, why do I need to work on this? I mean, I'm really bad at free throws. So I had to work on my free throws. And he's, I'm already the best in the league under the basket. And his coach, Phil Jackson, said, well, you could be the best ever under the basket. And so they only focused on Shaq's under the basket game. And as a result, for three years, the Lakers scored more points than anyone. They won three championships. And as an added bonus, Shaq's free throw percentages actually went up to just really bad rather than the worst in the league, see? <laughs> so 
this happen? Because he focused in the area of his strengths. Let me show you a few of the strengths. There's activator, those um, who can turn thoughts into action. Then there are those that have the strength of command. Those people can take control of a situation. Then there are those who have the strength of futuristic, that is, you're inspired by the future and what it could be. Those who have ideation, finding connections between differing ideas. The maximizers transform something strong and make it even better to something superb. And then one of my favorite strengths is the one called woo, right? Woo. Okay. So uh, that's not just the vibrato of wrestler Ric Flair, but it means winning others over. So those that love the challenge of meeting new people and winning them over to their side. So we spent a, a good bit of time talking about strengths there and also the spiritual gifts, but let's move on in shape to the H part of it, and that is your heart. Um, we see a little window into our hearts in Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. Let's take a look at that text real quick. That says, um, do what the Lord wants, and he will give you your heart's desire. Now, a lot of us love the second half of that verse, right? He'll give you your heart's desire, but we really have to focus on the first part of the verse there, do what the Lord wants, right? And what happens is, is when you and I do what the Lord wants, then he transforms our desires into his desires, right? And that's when he can give us the desires of our hearts because he knows that our motives are pure. And so as you walk with God, what are you passionate about? As you walk with God, what are your interests and what do you like doing? So that's our hearts. But then the A in shape stands for our abilities, our abilities. Now, let me show you a, a really interesting text. When God was wanting to build some things, he gave some people abilities in Exodus, Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 6. And God says, I have called by name Bezalel, great name, don't name your kid that, but it's an interesting name. And he goes on to say, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and look at this next part, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs. I put skill that they may make all that I've commanded you. And so God has gifted certain people with abilities like artistic design and creativity and craftsmanship and the like because he's such a creative God. He likes diversity and creativity. This is our God. And so some of you have these gifts, many different kinds, these abilities that have been given by God, like you just know what looks good. You can design things. And some of you um, have the ability to cook, or some of you have the ability to arrange uh, uh, landscaping and the like. But let's take a look at the P in shape, and that's our personality. How many of you consider yourselves extroverts. You like to be around people a lot. Get your hands up real quick, extroverts. Okay, extroverts don't mind raising their hands, okay? How many of you are introverts? Anybody introverts? I know it's hard for you to raise your hand. It's hard for you to sit in this room with the rest of us inferior beings. We know this, introverts. Okay, but see, introverts, you get your energy uh, from being alone a lot, and you really think that those extroverts are somewhat obnoxious from time to time. Uh, isn't it funny how God makes you marry someone who's different than you, right? Um, that happens from time to time, so we're all different. Some of us are feelers. We feel, we have our feelings hurt when phones ring during our sermons, you know, right? and some of us are thinkers, you know what I mean? 
So how many of you consider yourself to be thinkers? You're more of a thinker, okay? And then how many of you consider yourself to be more of a feeler? You, you, you have deep passion and feeling. And those of you that are feelers, the thinkers are boring, aren't they? You, 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 you don't want to hang out with them. The, the, the thinkers are boring and all that. And all of you who are thinkers, we know that the feelers are just all emotion. They're, they're all foam and no root beer, right? I mean, they, they, they're not very smart people, are they? So we all have different kinds of, of personalities. You know, some of you are right brain, you're more creative, and some of you are more left brain, and uh, you're, you're more administrative and um, um, organized and systematic and the like. But your personality affects the way that you serve God. And so that's the P in shape. But let's look at uh, E in shape, and that is our experiences, our experiences. Um, example of this is uh, Humby Sebeta, who um, helps uh, work down here at our church, his experience in television in the past has helped him to serve God here at the church, utilizing video in a significant way in our church. Then there's my friend Jaime Morales, who is a contractor, and Jaime has used his experience as a contractor to help here at the church by doing some um, repair projects around here that have been much needed, but his experience helped him to do that. And so look at Romans 8.28, where Paul says, we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And so what God does is he takes your experiences. Some of them are good experiences and some of them are bad experiences. And God has this unique ability to transform every experience that you've had in your life and use it to serve other people for his kingdom's sake. Now, I've met a lot of people who say, you know, Pastor Doug, I think I'm going to wait and serve people and minister to people after I learn about my spiritual gifts and after, you know, I take the gift test and learn about my strengths and all this kind of stuff. But I say, don't wait. I say, start ministering to people and serving God. And in the doing, you learn. And I think back to a time in my life uh, when I was very inexperienced at public speaking. I lived out the prophetic words of the great Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry said, according to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. Death is number two? Does that sound right? This means that the average person, if you go to a funeral, you're better off in the casket than if you're doing the eulogy. And I thought, man, that's the truth. The first time I tried to stand up in front of people and give a talk, I'm serious, you guys, I was so nervous that I wasn't even able to finish the talk. I had to just sit down. And you know what it was? Was it that God had not called me to do it? No, it's just I needed more experience. And today, I'm as comfortable talking to a crowd of people as I am to one person or two. Um, but it's some of you need experience in things, and don't let the, the first bad experience dissuade you from what God's called you to do. And I would also say, be faithful with the small opportunities that you're given. I, I was speaking with a woman in our church um, a couple of weeks ago, and she works at a really great job in the healthcare industry that now requires a college degree. Well, she doesn't have a college degree, but she was so valuable to her company that they grandfathered her into her role, even though she doesn't have the, agree, the degree, because she's so valuable there. And I said, what's your secret? How'd you do it? She said, every time they gave me any responsibility, no matter how small it was, I was faithful with that small responsibility. And they just kept, kept giving me more and more and more and more. And now they've grandfathered me into this role that 
by their own standards, I shouldn't even have the role. But let's look back at Peter for just a minute. And I want to look back to his midway point when he was in the process of learning. See what happened in this time in Peter's life. He was with Jesus. Jesus was teaching him. He was learning. And Jesus was outside the boat walking around on the water like you do, you know? And Peter's like, wow, I want to be out there with my rabbi. And look at the text. Matthew 14, 29. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Why was Peter so worked up? Man, it's just water. Well, to a first century Jewish young man, they believed that the water in the ocean or a deep lake like that where they were was the abyss. They believed that's where the devil lives, where the demons are. Isn't that why one time when Jesus cast demons out of a man into pigs, they ran off a cliff into the what? To the water, right? Into the ocean. And so Peter's out there walking around with Jesus and he's afraid, he's scared to death because I'm literally walking on the abyss right now. Have you ever felt like that? Some of you there right now today, God's called you to something and it's unknown. It's the abyss. It's scaring the living daylights out of you. It's the place of mystery. As Jonathan leads us in this song, I want you to think about your story and what God's calling you to right now. And think about what's going through your heart and mind as you sing these words, this song along with Jonathan. Let's sing.
Take me deeper than my feet could ever 
can be seated just for a minute. You know, in the midst of the fear and uncertainty, Peter's sinking down and he cries out. And I want to show you what happens next in Matthew 14, 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And you know, the conversation amongst Bible teachers has been for many years, what was Peter doubting? What was the source of his doubts? What was he doubting? Well, I think we all would recognize that Peter wasn't doubting Jesus. Jesus was doing just fine on the water, wasn't he? Who was Peter doubting? Yeah. Yeah, he was doubting himself. You know, like biblical backgrounds expert Ray Vanderlaan says, you know, a lot of people have faith in Jesus, as we should, no duh, right? You got to have faith in Jesus. But could it be that Jesus wants you to know that he has faith in you? Doesn't he? Jesus has some faith in you and this is why he called Peter out on the water because he believed Peter could do it and he believes you can do it what is it that you can do you're empowered to start a spiritual tribe where others can experience God and faithful Christian community you can make it through the uncertainty and trial that you're going through right now with his help you can believe in Christ, even if you feel too dirty or unworthy to have a relationship with God by simply believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. You can come into relationship with God. And once you've done that, you better believe that you can change the world. So in light of these truths from God's word, I want to ask it again. Will all the ministers please stand up now? Yes. So let's bow together in prayer, you ministers. Father, I thank you for what I see before me. This isn't just an audience, but it's an army of love that is going to militantly go out and serve and love people, not an army of violence, but of grace and truth. And so, Father, I pray that you just fill us up and jack us up, Lord. Some of us are so comfortable right now. We're not even stepping out of the boat. And it's time to try something, to do something, to believe that as we're empowered by you, we can do this. We can pull this off. And we may have to experience your miracles to do it and give us the faith to step out and see exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think, kind of power working in and through us that we might experience the love of God, how high and deep and wide is the love of Christ Jesus. Father, we're so grateful that you would choose us. Many of us are the JV, the B team, <laughs> the C students. And we're grateful that you've said to us, come follow me. Even those of us that feel depressed and bummed out and filled with anxieties, you've said, come follow me. Come all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. So Father, thank you for your rest and your empowerment in spirit. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.